For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the experts. That would be Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Gentlemen, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. How about you, Jeff? I am doing well. Thank you. Always glad to be with you here on the radio and of course, the fine people here, Southwestern Missouri, another good show lined up for us today. But before we get to that, you know, I was reading a couple of days ago, Randy and Jake, about a gentleman who just turned a hundred years old. Now that's not the gist of the story here. The gist of the story is, is back when he was 15 years old, he found a company because he needed to get a job. And so he got a job at this company. They hired him as a young man, but he has been at this company now, get this for 80 four years. The same job. Or actually, he got a little promotion when he was just a kid, but he set the Guinness Book of World Records for holding a job the longest. He's been there 84 years. And it got me to thinking that, you know, with inflation the way it is, we may all need to be working at our jobs for 84 years if we want to, you know, have any sort of life in retirement. But he's not retired yet. What do you think about that? 84 years of the same job. Well, you know, it's kind of like the Warren Buffett story, right? And the Charlie Munger story. You have people that don't know Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger are business partners. Uh, most people know uh, Warren, you know, who that is. But Charlie's kind of not the same forefront figure. But they've been business partners for like 60 years or something like <laughs> yeah, that. You right. know, I think Charlie I think Charlie Munger would do well on this show. <laughs> but uh, because Warren Buffett's a little more politically correct, they let him do most of the talking <laughs> and yeah. uh, broadcasting. Right, right. And that's true. Well, I say this, more power to him. You know, along that same line, I saw a couple of articles the last couple of days that talked about there was a guy 70 years of age, Jeff, yeah. that ran a 100-meter dash oh my in 13.49 seconds, which I thought was pretty good. And then there was another guy that was 100 that did the 100-meter dash in 29 seconds. Wow. Which you know, at 129 seconds is still pretty good. That's very good. Are you kidding me? Well, you know, so, you are proof positive that, you you know, if you keep yourself in physical shape, that you're going to have better health and uh, things are just going to go a lot better for you older in uh, age. And I would imagine that it's maybe not just genetics, but do you think that anyone, if they put in the, the work and the exercise, can do the sort of things that these gentlemen have done? You know, I would... I hope to think so. And, you know, the human body is a pretty amazing machine. God knew what he was doing when yeah. he built us. And, you bet. and if we take care of it, you know, it'll last a long, long time. That is exactly right. So uh, there is proof positive that if you keep moving, you know, keep the blood oxygenated, you're going to have a better, better health and uh, certainly a, a better retirement. So, gentlemen, we saw record highs in 2021, but 2022 may turn out to be an entirely different story. You know, the market's reacting poorly to the prospect of slow economic growth and the reality of high inflation. A lot of investors may fear a recession amidst volatile market, high inflation and changes in the Federal Reserve policy. But you really can't control any of these things, but you can make a plan to address the effects and avoid the common mistakes, can't you? Yes, you can. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that 
all the things we have, I, I tell people right now, we're juggling all kinds of balls out here, right? We've got China still partially shut down, or at least some of their cities have been for the longest time but with zero COVID policy. We've got interest rate you know, hikes projected. Uh, in fact, one guy we were talking to last Tuesday, or I was talking to, I was watching actually on TV, was saying he figured it'd be at least another 2% by year end. And so you got all these things pulling on the market. Everybody's kind of going, okay, which way do we go? We got supply chain issues still. We got rising oil prices or, or diesel prices, at least. I was looking, uh, I saw last week earlier, we were paying $5.16 a gallon for diesel right here in beautiful downtown Springfield, Missouri, which is for sure the highest I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it may oh, be the yeah. highest in history here mm-hmm. for sure. So we got all these things pulling on us. And so, you know, eventually, if we get our spending under control, and what I mean by that is a lot of this easy money that we've seen over the last few years of the stimulus checks, those are all going to go bye-bye. That money's going to be through the system. And then we're probably headed for a little downturn in the economy. Meanwhile, the stock market is trying to price all this stuff in and probably has priced a lot of it in. But, you know, I don't know. I think we could have still quite a bit more downside pressure on the market. I was watching also, Jeff, there was a guy on TV the other day. He was part of the Fed when Volcker was in, uh, it was the Fed chair. And he, he was on there talking about, and he kind of blew everybody's mind. He said, yeah, I don't think we'll have to go anywhere near as far as Volcker has to go probably just take the fed funds rate to five and a half six percent you know and, and that won't be a big deal and so all the news anchors you know jaw were on the table and they had to pick themselves up because what people are looking at right now is two and a half or three not five and a half or six and if you take the fed funds rate to five and a half or six you're going to have eight and nine percent 30-year mortgages and that will absolutely decimate the housing market so hopefully we won't have to go that far but you know there's there's a lot of smart people a lot of people with experience that are concerned. And so I think it would be prudent for us to be concerned as well, and we are. But this all ties back into what we talk about a lot on this show, which is you need to have a plan that works in all types of financial weather, this included. And I think that if you have that plan, you can sleep at night because you you know that no matter how bad things get, you're still on track and we're going to use that volatility to our advantage. Yeah, you're exactly right. And as we said before, I mean, you head out on a trip in your car, you've got a plan that does account for the potholes and the detours and so forth so you can rest easier. And of course, you offer that plan there at Floyd Financial Group and our listeners by going to floydfinancialgroup.com can simply request a conversation with you to get that plan. You were talking about the housing market and we were talking off the air briefly about the uh, interest rates here. Now around five and a half percent. It seems like just a couple of months ago, I mean, it wasn't but six months ago, was it? That I mean, interest rates were really below uh, 3%. They've almost doubled. So January 1st, or I guess the 3rd technically, since the 3rd was the was the first day of the year uh, that was a non-holiday. January 3rd, the 30-year mortgage rate average was 3.2%. Yeah. So that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, context. You know, we're up two and a quarter percent in four months. That's That's... Totally unprecedented. You know, the two-year treasury has gone from under one to almost three in that same time frame. Yeah, and for the first time in a long time, when I look at these real estate listings, now I see price reductions. What long-term effect do you think that is this going to have on the housing market? I mean, you had mentioned earlier about 10% interest rates. And, you know, back in the day in the early 80s, when Randy and I bought our first homes, I mean, interest rates are around 18%. Where do you see the housing market going? Do you think this bubble is just about to burst? 
burst again? I don't know that I would call it a burst, but I will. So long term was your first question. Long term, I think this has absolutely nothing to do with long term housing prices. This is going to be a momentary blip on the radar. However, we're way out over our skis right now on home prices. You know, we're um, about 60% is how much housing is up over the last three years on average. So some houses are up way more than that, some a little less than that, but the average is about 60% over three-year growth in housing. Yeah, I mean, that's not sustainable. You know, that's like 15 and a half, 16% compounding growth rate. So what's going to happen is it's going to come back to earth a little bit, but when it does, it'll be a buying opportunity in real estate. And real estate, you know, they're not making any more of it, as I've heard many people in this, uh, in this area say in right. our client meetings. There's a lot of truth to that. I think that long-term, it will still appreciate and land will be a good thing to own. I would just, if I were a buyer, which uh, I actually am looking to buy some land, I'm going to wait till it comes back to me a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of people are in the same boat as uh, you are, Jake. If people are listening to this program and they have a house that they're looking to maybe downsize from, or maybe they want to move to another location, something like that, is this uh, a, a time that they can still do that or should they wait a while, do you think? I think if you're going to sell a house in the next five years, you need to do it tomorrow. Okay. If you're willing to wait longer than that to make the move, then you have time. But uh, I think it's very likely that we're headed downward in pricing. In fact, I saw an article yesterday that it was ranking different cities on how much housing has already come down. In Toledo, Ohio, the prices have already come down 18% from the high. Interesting. Even in some bigger areas like uh, like Detroit, they're already down 5%. Uh, Rochester, New York was like 4% or something like that. So we're starting to <coughs> see the cracks. Um, it's not too late to do it if you're going to do it, but I would get it done, man, you know, because probably three to four months from now, it's going to get pretty barren. So good advice there, Jake. Uh, also, I would say that uh, if you're going to be buying, a, you know, a car, something like that, credit cards, that sort of thing, too, that maybe you should keep those under control insofar <laughs> as interest rates go. I've never seen an automotive market like this before either. I mean, those automotive prices just continue to uh, go up and up and up. Even, even if you're buying a used car, it's as much as a new car these days. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, we have seen that. I have a nephew that operates a car dealership down in the Dallas area, and he's just telling me how, you know, they can't keep enough cars. They're making, you know, great profits as dealers, you know, and it's really kind of, it's interesting. It's the best of the worst of times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of what it is, and which sounds kind of crazy, but it, it's kind of that way everywhere. That's kind of what we're in, right, Jeff? Because, you know, as far as the economy looks right now, everything is still... Yeah. running up, running up. Everybody's paying more. In fact, I was reading an article uh, last week that said, you know, hey, people are starting to reconsider what they buy. So I thought the article was going to say inside there, yeah, people are starting to buy store brands and try to figure out what's cheaper. But no, it was just the opposite. They said, no, they're trading up to the more expensive version. Wow. Again, it leads us to believe what we know is that we are, everything's really frothy right now. We're on the edge of where people are going to wake up, the money supply is going to dry up, and we're going ahead into a recession. Now, the market is already kind of predicting it. The economy hasn't felt it yet. And we've talked about on here many times that the economy and the market are two different things. And they generally don't run uh, side by side. They're generally separate. The market looking ahead, then the economy catching up later. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about current market conditions. And Randy, it always circles back to this. Jake, chime in on this one, too. I guess the big question is, okay, we know where we are. It's not a great place to be. When is it going to end? That's the, that is the $64,000 question, isn't it, Jeff? But 
I think a lot of people view what we do as uh, because they see on the news all these people predicting things that, that that's kind of how we operate. What we do is we want to devise a plan that works no matter what happens so that we're not guessing because that is all they're doing is guessing. In fact, if you listen to any type of financial news, you know, they're all on different pages. You can you can watch for five minutes and get six different opinions. And so I think that regardless of when it ends, if you have the right plan, you don't have to worry about that. The other thing I might add, you know, Jeff, you've if you've ever played any type of cards or anything like that, as kids, we used to, we'd go out and we, what would we do? If we were playing war or something, remember how you used to play war, you'd turn the cards over and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, you know, as a kid, when I wanted to beat my little brother for sure, I would stack the deck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, what I would say is what we do when we build a plan is we kind of stack the deck, meaning not that we're cheating. What we're doing is we're using known knowledge and known tools that we know we can rely upon to help mitigate damage while giving us growth when things are good. And so that's really how we like to operate here. And that's how, you know, over the years, uh, we've been very successful in keeping people retired and growing their nest eggs. And, you know, there's always going to be bad times. Nothing is always good. And we have to be prepared for the bad times as well as the good. If you'd like to have the deck stacked in your favor, certainly get in touch with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group and get yourself a complimentary financial plan. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Or if it's more convenient for you, go to the website. See what the firm is all about at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com and request your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan there. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Thank you so much for being a part of our Saturday morning together here on the radio. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1. FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd along with Jake Floyd today. And uh, in this segment, we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency in 401ks. Ooh, ah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. Ooh, ah. What is this crypto stuff that all these people are talking about? Well, you might be hearing a lot about cryptocurrency. You may have heard that you can now invest in Fidelity's Bitcoin retirement accounts. Know what exactly is going on and how this works, plus how you can take control of your 401k. Jake, we were talking yesterday a little bit. I understand that there is some recent development with uh, crypto and your 401k. Yeah, so Fidelity uh, is going to be the first. I said they're going to be. They're kind of already doing it where they're going to allow you to hold Bitcoin inside of a 401k, 403b type setup as long as the employer is willing to allow it. So when you set up a 401k, if Fidelity is the custodian, that's who holds the money. But the rules of the 401k, if you will, are set up by a third party and will govern that. But Fidelity is saying that they will allow you to hold Bitcoin. So that's that's the first one that's actually done that. I would assume that probably in the next six months, we're going to see them all do that. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out and what kind of demand is created by unleashing 401k dollars into the cryptocurrency market. 
Well, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, I mean, they're not exactly stocks. They're technically software that creates virtual money through the use of cryptography. Now, when I hear the term virtual money, I mean, in my 401k, guys, I don't know. Am I old fashioned? I'm not comfortable with something that's virtual. I want the real thing. What do you think about cryptocurrency in 401ks? Is it an option for a lot of folks? Yes, Jeff, you and I are old-fashioned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't spend virtual I mean, money. Well, I was watching some interviews, you know, on this stuff. And, of course, over the last week or so here, Warren Buffett has been talking about that, you know, Wall Street has become like a gambling parlor. And the fact that, <laughs> that uh, you know, he doesn't believe in crypto. In fact, he said, if you'd give me all the crypto on planet Earth, I wouldn't give you $25 for it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what I will. he's been, been I, I'll saying. I'll take it. that deal. Okay. So uh, there'd be a lot of people that would say, yeah, I would take that deal. I guess what it boils down to is, you know, it's just another major shift toward, like you would say, you know, the, the modern technology and innovation. The thing that I would say is it's kind of reminiscent of when the 401k and the IRA came onto the scene. You know, back in 1974, when the law was passed that really governs how IRAs and 401ks work today was put into place, it took a few years for it to catch hold. In fact, probably not until the early 80s did it really catch hold. And guess what happened? You know, it blew the market up from basically 100 points on the S&P 500 to where we had that that big dot-com bubble. I think we were probably around, I haven't looked at this to research, but I'm going to guess a thousand points or so over, you know, a 15-year period or so. So it grew, you know, like thousand percent over yep. that time frame. And this may be something too that will catch hold and become a little more mainstream. Do I trust it myself? I'm kind of like you, Jeff. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if I can't somehow get tactile feeling yeah. about it. I don't know. <laughs> you talked about the tactile thing. I mean, even with reading, I still prefer magazines and books and so forth. I mean, I haven't even caught up to reading things off readers like that. But Jake, you interjected a little bit and I wanted to get your take on this. Now, Randy and I are of one generation. Jake, you're the younger generation. So why would you take that deal of uh, all the cryptocurrency for 25 bucks? Well, because it's a $2 trillion industry and $25 for $2 trillion sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think there's a few observations that need to be made. So one of the things that comes up a lot is there's a lot of argument between, there's a big difference between the price of Bitcoin and the technology of Bitcoin, blockchain, right? Blockchain is definitely here to stay. It's a very secure means of information transfer and as well as Ethereum is another one that has a platform built for applications to be built upon it. That is definitely here to stay. Now, what the cryptocurrency is worth is a totally separate thing, and it's really a, a supply and demand question. One of the reasons why people like Bitcoin is because the absolute max number of Bitcoins that will ever exist is 21 million. So there's no way to print more Bitcoin. Once, once it's all been mined, it's over and done with, and we're over 20 million coins right now. So we're at the very end of this thing. Once that last coin is minted, there will never be any more. So it's, it's built-in scarcity. Why is gold worth money? Because it's scarce, right? If gold is scarce, then Bitcoin is ultra-scarce. Jake, you talked about 21 million Bitcoins being minted, but this is just virtual technology. I mean, nobody's physically minting anything. Who's to stop somebody else from, you know, making more Bitcoins? To me, it seems like a very, very volatile thing to get into. 
And I think that's right, Jeff. I think uh, another term that's been thrown around recently is, uh, you know, crypto winter. I don't know if you've heard that buzzword on any of the news feeds, but the way it works is Bitcoin has gone through a couple of different, what they say, air quotes, uh, winters, where we have a mass adoption phase of Bitcoin, where Bitcoin price goes up drastically. I mean, huge numbers, thousands and thousands of percent, followed by a reckoning of, hey, this is just virtual currency and, and things like what you were just saying, Jeff. And so it follows with a 80% decline and then a two or three year period of sitting back down at those levels. And so there's concern that Bitcoin is going through another winter right now. But I only say to tie that in because you said Bitcoin is very risky. I agree with that. In fact, if you think about the last Bitcoin winter was starting in early 2018 through 2019. So if you think about what happened there, all Bitcoin aficionados know is that Bitcoin went down. But what happened, if you think about the market in 2018, is that in January, we had a had a little correction. And then at the end of 2018, we had a 20% correction. And so Bitcoin simply acts like a risk on investment. So think of a, a risky tech company. That's how Bitcoin's going to act. There's a lot of talk about it being an inflation hedge and all that kind of crap. I don't agree with any of that. I do think that it is a store of value. I think the technology is here to stay. Uh, whether Bitcoin is going to go to the moon, as the kids say these days, it remains to be seen. Well, in the past, uh, Bitcoin, you know, I heard about prices fluctuating dramatically, people making lots of money on those things and then losing lots of money with Bitcoin. It has been very, very volatile. But as it becomes more accepted, as you said, now it's a possibility for your 401k. As it becomes more accepted, do you think that that is going to reduce the volatility? Yes, it will reduce the volatility and the returns. <laughs> so adoption is is what starts to make something more mainstream, but the more mainstream something gets, the less potential for upside there is because it's already had its run. I think the, the next big leg up on Bitcoin is going to be when the first real Bitcoin ETF gets approved. Okay. The SEC is, is pretty against Bitcoin at the moment. And when that tide changes, I think this crypto winter, I guess, if you will, will be over and we will have another leg up. But ultimately, it's just a risk on asset. All right. Well, forgive Randy and I for being a little bit old, but still, I, I can't quite get my head around this. I've got crypto in my 401k. OK, now I know that I can't go to the gas station or maybe there are some gas stations where you can spend cryptocurrency. I know that you can buy goods and services online at a lot of places with cryptocurrency. But if I want to convert my cryptocurrency into cold, hard cash that I can spend anywhere, how would I do that? So there's a number of ways to do that. Number one, you can have a an exchange like a Coinbase where you can transfer funds in and out of your Coinbase account from your bank account. And then you can use it to buy or sell cryptocurrency. So you have, just like stocks, frankly, uh, if you have a TD Ameritrade account, for example, you deposit money from your bank account, you buy the stocks, you sell the stocks, and you deposit money into your bank account. So it can work that simply. There are also things called uh, like Bitcoin ATMs where mm -hmm. you can go into a gas station and you can say, okay, I want to buy, uh, I want to create a wallet and buy Bitcoin here at this ATM. You can do it that way. But to answer your first question, I think that is coming, Jeff where you're going to have the ability to pay with Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever at the pump. That technology is being worked on. Uh, I know for sure that's being worked on by a company called Square and the CEO, Jack Dorsey. 
Well, I think it's safe to say that we're conservative, certainly on this radio show. This is a conservative radio station in this part of the country. You know, we're rather conservative. So, I mean, Bitcoin is is something that is out there. Do you find that a lot of your clients in this part of the country are beginning to ask a little bit more about Bitcoin and wanting to know how it can benefit them in retirement? So we get asked a lot about it. And like I tell a lot of clients that come in to see us, everything that we look at is through a risk versus reward lens. Meaning if the potential for reward is high enough, it's okay to take some risk. But I want everybody listening to understand that I am not a huge proponent of having Bitcoin in a portfolio. It is a tool. And if Bitcoin were to go low enough where the risk reward starts to look better, we might buy a little bit. But we're talking probably fractions of 1% in a portfolio. We're not talking about going all in on Black 17 with Bitcoin. Right. So I want people listening to understand that while I understand the technology, and I am a believer in the technology, the cryptocurrency is simply too volatile to have a major portion of your money in in retirement. However, you have made some minor investments in Bitcoin and they have been successful, right? That's correct, yeah. So at the highest level, we were we invested about 1% of the portfolio in Bitcoin. This was at the, at the end of 2020. So we invested at about 17,000 a coin. We sold at about 64,000 a coin. So we made, made some pretty good money there, but the risk reward prospects are just not as good right now. And so on the back end of all this Fed tightening, Bitcoin may go significantly lower from here. And if it does, then we'll judge it accordingly at the time. But we're, we're certainly not married to investing in cryptocurrency or anything like that. And if it never becomes a good deal again, I'm okay with never investing in it again. But that's how we want to treat all assets is there's a time and a place to invest in everything, including real estate or or Bitcoin. Well, Jake, I trust you and I uh, trust the research that you've done here. So I think I'm going to, you know, next time I am in the market for a wallet, I'm going to get myself one of those cryptocurrency wallets as well, too, and put a little cryptocurrency in there and see what happens. We're talking about cryptocurrency here with Randy and Jake Floyd, the fact that it now can be a part of your 401k. If you would like to have a complimentary, no cost, no obligation retirement plan with Randy and Jake, their Floyd Financial Group, that could include cryptocurrency. Doesn't have to, of course. Sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your individual concerns and get your questions about cryptocurrency and everything else related to retirement answered for you. To get your plan, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. And of course, as always, you can go to floydfinancialgroup.com, floydfinancialgroup.com and request your complimentary retirement plan from there. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the 4% rule and does high inflation actually change that rule? And Randy, we've talked about the 4% rule in this program before. We know that all of our listeners don't listen all of the time. We wish they did, but the reality is that they don't. So first of all, define what the 4% rule is. Yeah, so the 4% rule, Jeff, is basically what I guess a consensus of advisors across the country had kind of landed on as a percentage of your retirement portfolio that you could withdraw 
and then adjust that for inflation under what we would, I guess we would call normal inflation around the mm-hmm. two or 3% number. And you wouldn't run out of money for 25 or 30 years is what kind of what they looked at. Now, you know, everything is relative. And so let's talk about, we kind of know what the 4% rule is. Well, if interest rates are 5% and I can get 5% interest, I should be able to spend 5%, right? Right. <laughs> and not spend my portfolio down and be fine. So does the 4% rule apply? Well, maybe not. Or if stocks are returning 10% over time, can I withdraw 4%? Well, now you get into something where stocks we know and bonds are volatile. They're up and down. So sometimes the 4% rule doesn't hold water. And over the years, as interest rates have gone down, 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 down until the last, oh, 12 months or so where they've turned around and started headed up, it made sense to actually, the latest numbers, if you were to really do a poll across advisors, they would have told you here a year ago that maybe two and a half or three was the actual ideal amount to start with. So it's a moving target, but the 4% rule, does inflation change that? So let's talk about that. So right now, you know, we've been in a period of time where interest rates are really low. If we go out and buy investment grade bonds, we're probably going to get a 2% yield. But as interest rates have gone up, we've seen investment grade bonds go down 7% over the last 12 months. So let's see, if I'm withdrawing 4 and I've lost 7, I'm negative 11, <laughs> right? Yeah. So this is the this is what comes into play, whether it be bonds or whether it becomes, you know, the stock market. We've often talked on here about Mr. Brown and Mr. Green, and uh, Mr. Brown and Mr. Green, while they're saving money, they both get a six percent return on their investment over the long haul. Sometimes, you know, we have negative, sometimes we have positive, but as long as we're not spending our anything out of our portfolio and we're earning our six percent, both sides end up equal over the same period of time. So a 6% over 25 years for Mr. Brown and a 6% for 25 years for Mr. Green, if that's what they come out to be, it doesn't matter how they got there. It might have been really negative for Mr. Green in the beginning and really positive for Mr. Brown based on the time frame when they invested. But here's the kicker. When we start drawing money out, now how investment returns fall becomes very crucial. And so I guess what I'm saying is the 4% rule, while I understand the basis for it, how does it correlate to inflation? I don't think there is a direct correlation between those two. If anything, I would say what it does say is if inflation is high and markets are falling, it's time to tighten our belt. Right. I mean, that's about all you can say, right? If you if you used to have a 36-inch waist, you went on a diet, and now you got a 22-inch waist, you're going to have to have a belt. <laughs> you got it. Or you're going to lose your pants, right? So it's kind of the same thing here. We watched over the years that the 60-40 portfolio was the old retirement portfolio everybody depended on, which was 60% stock, 40% bonds. But Jeff, you and I know, looking back over our shoulder in 1981, you know, a 10% CD was a common thing. We also know that, uh, you know, back through the 70s, we had a little bit of stagflation and things like we're probably about to see now. The bonds helped to offset that because any bond I bought yesterday was worth more today because interest rates were falling. Now we're on the opposite side of that knife, and that is as interest rates go up, any bond we buy today is worth less tomorrow. And we're sitting here on a declining market because of what? You know, everybody is afraid of what's going to happen with rising interest rates, uh, with the profitability of companies as supply chains are still, you know, hurting. We can't get things through. The prices are escalating. Profits are falling. 
Consumer confidence will start to wane at some point. It hasn't done it yet. So I don't know if I've even, if I've even answered the question, how does the yeah. in, the inflation rate affect the 4% rate? I don't think it does, but I think that they are certainly good things to talk about. And the fact is, right now, if people can, they need to be watching what they spend because we're not through the woods on this yet. We're still going to have some downward pressure. We still haven't really seen a recession that most everybody you would talk to is coming either later this year or through 2023. And we need to be prepared for that. Now, on the other side of that will be great, great, great rewards. But we have to make sure that we're set up and following a plan to survive till that time. So if people are saying, well, you know, with inflation going higher, doesn't that mean I should spend 8%? Well, if you do, watch out. That's all I will yeah, say. Yeah. And, and I don't know where you're investing because it ain't on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the analogy there about losing weight. And I love that, too. You could lose your pants. I mean, if you are not spending the right amount of money, you could lose your shorts on that. When you yeah. do these investing plans, gentlemen, and you tally up how much someone's got for investment, I mean, I, there really aren't any hard and fast rules or are there hard and fast rules that you shoot for when it comes to withdrawal rates? So... The 4% rule at its core is trying to solve an unsolvable problem, which is with an unknown amount of volatility, with all my money at risk, how, how much can I withdraw? And the answer is, well, that's anybody's guess, right? right? So when you have real protections in your portfolio, now you can actually start to make assumptions about how much you can withdraw and how much is too much. But without, without real guarantees... The only answer to that question is another question, which is how much is the market going to go down and how long is it going to stay there? Well, if we knew that, we probably wouldn't be asking any of these questions. So the 4% rule tries to solve an unsolvable problem when it comes to risk in a portfolio. And I think that having the right plan solves that problem for you. And I will tell you that in some cases, we can withdraw more than 4% without risking spending the money down. We're talking about the 4% rule with Randy and Jake here on Show Me the Money. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Randy and Jake, the plans that you design are flexible enough to account for almost any situation. I mean, some years you may have to tighten your belts and withdraw only 2%. Other years you might be able to go 4 and 6%. Is that about right that these investment plans should be flexible? Nothing set in stone. Yeah, we want to have uh, flexibility. You know, anytime we set up a retirement portfolio, and anybody that's been in our office, they know that this is the case. We always talk about the fact that we need three things in any investment portfolio, and that is we need a certain amount of safety, because, Jeff, when are you and I going to go back and have another 40 years to redo this thing? Yeah, never. Well, we're not, okay? So we got to have a reasonable amount of safety. Number two, we have to have growth. Otherwise, we don't have anything to spend, and all we do is spend our money down. So that being the case, we got to make sure we get some growth. And then uh, last, we need to have adequate liquidity. So when we look at liquidity, safety, and growth, there's not any one financial tool that gives you all of those things. You know, the bank, you take your money over there, it's pretty safe, it's pretty liquid, but you're not making jack squat, right? Mm -hmm. If you take your money out to the market, you might make some really good money. And, you know, we have for the last, you know, 12 years running, you know, we made a whole bunch of money, probably around 600%, you know, over that time frame from 
2000, March 2nd of 2009 to where we were recently, you know, so they can be a really good place. But then, uh, you know, obviously, too, right now with market down roughly 15% since the first of the year, we know it can be a horrible place to protect money. So it is very liquid, which is a good thing. So when we look at all of these things about building a portfolio, we need to figure all those three things and build a plan that gives people adequate liquidity with adequate safety and adequate growth to carry them forward through their retirement years of 30, 35 years. And that's how we approach building every portfolio that we build here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking with Randy and Jake here about the 4% rule and how much you can withdraw in retirement. And it is an individual situation. Uh, Randy, Jake, really have to have a lot of information about you to decide how much that you can withdraw. And I know that people listening to this program, Randy and Jake, have a lot of questions and uh, the opportunity for them to get those questions answered exists in a conversation with you. In order to sit down and have that conversation with Randy, Jake, it's not going to cost you anything. It doesn't cost you one thin dime. And of course, there's no obligation. It's an opportunity for you, an unprecedented opportunity to get your questions answered and really get the answers that you need to get you on the path to retirement, the place where you want to be going and to have the retirement that you had always hoped that you could have. If you would like to get a complimentary retirement roadmap, a plan, if you will, with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online. Sit down with Randy and Jake and ask your questions by going to floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. We'll be right back with the final portion of our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the basics of estate planning. Jeff, do I have an estate? Yeah, you know, I know you've got a nice house, got a nice lawn. I would call it an estate to a certain extent, but that's not the sort of estate we're talking about. Almost anyone out there listening to this program, they may think that they don't have assets. But in reality, Randy and Jake, everybody has an estate of some sort, don't they? Right. Well, is that e-state like online? Or? <laughs> no, this time we're not talking about virtual things here. We're talking oh, okay. about things we can uh, see, touch, uh, smell, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. Absolutely. Everybody does have stuff that they've acquired over their lifetime. And, you know, that becomes part of your estate plan. And a lot of times people, you know, say, well, you know, I've always heard that if I didn't have a million dollars, I don't need an estate plan. If that were true, it'd be two or three million today. A lot of times, people have uh, have other assets too. So maybe you don't have a big house. Maybe you don't have a bunch of cash in the bank. But sometimes we'll talk to people and they don't have those things, but they have uh, a classic car collection or 15 guns or antique guns and things like that. So all those things really fall under an estate plan and how you want those things to be distributed when something when you're no longer with us. That's really the essence of an estate plan. And an estate, as you said, uh, involves a lot more than just property. As you said, it can be collectibles, it can be uh, family heirlooms, or it can be just cold, hard cash. A proper estate plan really involves a lot more than just having a, a will of some sort, right? Yeah, it sure does. And and here's what I would say. You know, ultimately, Jeff, when uh, when we're done with our stuff, we generally want our kids, if we have them, to have it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what we're really, really trying to get down to. It's been said that if you don't take time to plan your estate, 
that, you know, it's kind of like filing a lawsuit against your kids because they will go through probate. And here in the state of Missouri, uh, best you can do on a probate estate is probably about eight months to get through it. And oh, by the way, while you're going through probate, all of the assets are frozen. Nobody has access to any of that stuff. Now, with a properly structured estate plan, they won't have to go through that whole process. Yes, they still have to file a death claim and get things distributed, but it's a much more uh, relaxed process, and we don't get the courts uh, involved there. Many times, I think people think about an estate plan as only, like I said earlier, for the wealthy. You know, right now, you and your lovely bride can give away $24.12 million, and there's no estate tax. So for most people... That's really not much of an issue now. You know, <laughs> in today's world, twenty-four point one two million is at least not around here. Is quite is quite a bit of money, right? I mean, does it happen? Yes, it does. But it's actually beyond that. What we're looking at is we want to make sure when we do the estate plan that we get what we call the ancillary documents that go along with that as well. And what do we mean by that? So that's the things like power of attorney for finance, a power of attorney for health care. And people say, well, why do I need to get a power of attorney for finance? I have my kids' names on everything. Well, number one, I would say that's really kind of a mistake to have your kids' names on everything. And it's probably a good time for me to interject right here that I am not an attorney and I'm not practicing law without a license. We have an attorney in the building here. Uh, in fact, as most people know, uh, Jacob's uh, wife, Elizabeth, is a paralegal for the attorney and is also in law school and will be a lawyer here soon. But we do a lot of estate plans around here, and I've been dealing with estate plans and trusts myself with attorneys since around 2003, somewhere through there. So we know a lot of the ins and outs on this, but we don't actually draft the documents. We just get you in contact with the attorney. So we're having a general discussion here. But a power of attorney for finance is one of the most important documents any couple can have. And the reason for that is, Jeff, if your uh, wife has an IRA and you have an IRA and you become incapacitated and your wife does not have a durable power of attorney for finance over you, the day you become incapacitated uh, and she wants to go access those funds, she cannot unless she uh, has that power of attorney, which is much easier than going to the state and getting a conservatorship over that money and possibly a guardianship over you. So that's one of the big reasons to have the durable power of attorney for finance. Also, most people think, well, hey, we're husband and wife. We can do anything together. Well, here in the state of Missouri, the state of Missouri says that when you own your house, you and your wife both own 100% of it. Mm -hmm. Well, that would obviously be 200%, which we know is not right. But the Bible says, and that's they took it very literally, that you know you become one when you get married, right? Right. So if you are incapacitated and your wife needed to sell property, she cannot do it without your signature, so the power of attorney can help there as well. Also, just working with the life insurance maybe that you have where you're the owner and you know the person that pays for it. So while she's the beneficiary, if you're still alive, she can't claim the beneficiary interest, but she might need to get to some of the cash value inside there. So that's the big reasons for power of attorney for finance. Also, we need to make sure that, you know, when we have our uh, deed to our house, uh, if we have that title in the name of a trust, we can have ultimate control over how that gets distributed to our beneficiaries and when. You know, there may be some times in there that you don't want to give a big pile of money or a big bunch of real estate to a child. You may want them to get it over time because they may not be, you know, really ready if they're 25 or 30 years old to have a lot of money and property plopped in their lap all at one time. So there's just many, many reasons to have an estate plan. But ultimately, what we want is everybody taking care of if they become incapacitated and ultimately getting all of your stuff to your 
your beneficiaries in the shortest, cleanest, uncourt-like fashion. Well, it sounds like a trust can accomplish all of those things and do it quite efficiently. I mean, a lot of people are listening to this going, you know, I really don't have enough to have a trust. I mean, when is a will okay? If a trust really covers almost everything, why do wills exist then? Right. Jeff, yeah, the will, you know, basically says this. It's instructions to the probate court. So if we have a will and a will only, we're going to end up in probate, and basically the judge is going to bless that and make sure all the bills get paid and everybody gets paid out properly. But that takes a little time to do. So if we look back at all of our IRAs, our life insurance, our bank accounts, in the state of Missouri, we can do a beneficiary deed and pass our property to our beneficiaries without probate. A couple of problems there. You know, I just told you that in the state of Missouri, husband and wife are one. So let's say you have four kids and those four kids are all married and you pass away and you give your house to them. Since they're all married, now we have eight people that have to agree on how to dispose of that property when you're gone. Now, I don't know about you, Getting two or three people to agree on anything is pretty difficult, let alone eight. Right. And everybody has their own axe to grind. I'm not picking on people. I'm just saying that's how it is because the spouse has to sign off on the beneficiary deed, the sale of that of the, of the sale of that property. So the trust just has many, many pieces that come along with it that make it much easier. But you can avoid probate through pay on death, transfer on death, and beneficiary arrangements. But sometimes people die out of order, and sometimes things happen that we don't count on. And so it's really good to have a document that we can build all the contingency plans into. It's kind of our job here when we do estate plans to think of all of the most horrible things that can happen and plan for those, hoping that they never happen, but we have a plan in case they do. Well, something that's on my mind, uh, certainly, and I'm sure on the minds of most people listening, is the taxation obligation when you uh, pass things on. How does a trust or does a trust help minimize taxes? Only if you're looking at an estate plan. I mean, as a rule, it's not going to change anything about uh, your taxes and what taxes you pay, what taxes your beneficiaries pay. I I will say this, say for one thing, a lot of times people say, well, you know what? I don't need that farm over there anymore, so I'm just going to give it to my kids today. So when you do that, your kids inherit your basis or what you paid for it. So let's say that 30 years ago, you bought a farm, you paid $100,000 for it. And today it's worth $2 million. And there's a lot of that around right now. If you give that property, if you deed it over to your family while you're alive, when they go to sell it, they owe the difference. They owe capital gains on the difference between $2 million and the $100,000 you paid. If you pass it as a result of your death through a beneficiary deed or a trust, they get the step-up in basis, which means it steps up to current market value and they owe no capital gains tax. So a lot of times, yes, that is one way to avoid long-term capital gains tax. There's also ways to use trust if you're a wealthy person uh, that you can avoid some estate tax and death tax. That way you can also generation skip and pass things to grandkids and things of that nature. But for the most part, it does not change the taxability of your estate and what your loved ones are going to receive. People listening to this program uh, today, Randy and Jake, they may be interested in a trust. I think you have uh, talked quite well about the benefits of having a trust. If someone wants a trust, again, it does involve an estate planning attorney. I understand that Leisha there in your office, can she help with that? Yes, she can. 
She's been doing it for many years now and has lots of experience. And like I said, they may talk to Elizabeth too, her paralegal who works and, and does a lot of the, uh, some of the initial fact finding and, and gathering. And the thing I would tell people is the consultation to look at the trust is no cost, no obligation. And with the experience that Leisha and Elizabeth and, and we all have here, there will be things that you will discover as you have that sit down that really didn't occur to you. And, and the reason is, you know, this is something that we're doing every day here. And this is something most people will do once in a lifetime otherwise. Well, an estate plan is really an important part of your retirement plan and should work with all the other aspects of it, such as your tax minimization strategy and long-term care plan. No matter what your family situation or what you want to do with your wealth after you pass on, Floyd Financial Group and Randy and Jake and Elizabeth and Alicia can help with that. If you've got questions about trusts and wills and estate planning in general, you want to sit down with Randy and Jake and have just a nice casual conversation, simply call 417-889-7233 to have that conversation and talk about your retirement plan and your trust questions. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, out of time for this week. I always enjoy our visits here on Saturday morning, but I know that uh, the next show is waiting to get in here in the studio. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Thanks for listening. Get out there. Have a great day in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Retirement is supposed to be about freedom, not survival. After a lifetime of hard work, nobody ever dreamed of just making it through retirement. At Floyd Financial Group, we believe you can thrive in retirement. That's why our professionals help create strategies that integrate your lifestyle goals and your finances into one comprehensive plan. If you're ready for a different approach, call us today for your complimentary review at 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526.